How would you like to improve your relationship? How would you like to respond differently in a way that facilitates mutuality and encourages connection? We look forward to addressing these issues together and welcome you to Ask Arlo, a program that seeks to help you identify negative patterns and respond in new ways that can promote a more positive relationship. Now, here is the host of Ask Arlo, Arlene Majorano. Hi, my name is Arlene Majorano, and I'm here with my guest, Jennifer Tantia, and today we're going to do uh, a broadcast on the um, power of nonverbal communication. And before we start, Jennifer, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, since you are really the expert in this area. I'm just the person who <laughs> is the witness to the power of nonverbal communication in my marriage and in the couples I work with, but you are the expert. So why don't you just talk a little about yourself? Thanks, Arlene. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's, <laughs> it's lovely to be here. And um, so um, my name is Jennifer Tantia. I've been in private practice for about 16 years. Um, I've taught embodied psychotherapy at universities and training institutes across the U.S., Europe, and Asia. Uh, I've uh, published a lot. Uh, I've done some work with uh, publishing embodied psychotherapy, uh, embodied research methods. And that's uh, my, my last book is on embodied research methods to try to move all of this work forward uh, into um, um, empirical um, practice. And uh, I've recently started a new uh, somatic psychotherapy group to help clinicians to integrate somatic awareness into their practice. Okay. So, great. So, how about if I just start with like a, a little personal anecdote? This morning, I, I asked my husband, <laughs> what is it about me <laughs> that when I don't say anything, you react to? Um, so, he said, well, it's your shrug. <laughs> And for him, I swear, I react to his face. We, I call it the face. So, it, But we know that about each other. So at this point in our relationship, we can have a sense of humor about it. Thank goodness. But if you get taken unawares, if you're not really familiar with the power of the nonverbal communication or what, how it is manifesting itself in your body or in your face, facial gestures or body gestures, then you could be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so um, maybe you could just, we could begin by you uh, responding to that and yeah. go from there. Well, in, in this case, I'm wondering if, if there are two meanings to your shrug, the meaning that, that he uh, perceives and the meaning that you perceive. Hmm. And uh, do you know you're shrugging? You know, I don't, I don't think I'm even aware of it. But um, now that you say that, there probably are the meaning that he perceives is probably I'm blowing him off. I don't uh, I may sometimes now this, of course, is my my uh, innocent. <laughs> uh, but I'm thinking my innocent interpretation, um, I might sometimes be meaning, eh, you know, I don't care. It's okay. Or I don't care. And it may sometimes seem like I'm saying, you know, I don't care what you're saying. I don't yeah. care about you. Yeah. Right. So, or I am dismissing what you're saying. Yeah. So that's, um, 
that's a that's a could be a recipe for disaster with some mm-hmm. couples because there are two different meanings going on. So what I would do is, you know, maybe pick on the person who's doing the shrugging and say, well, right, right. Do you, a, do you know that you're doing this? Right, right. You know, of course. For, for starters, and you know, the, the body is the gateway between consciousness and unconsciousness. So maybe you're com- you're communicating something to him unknowingly, even unknowing to yourself. So right. You know, and if you're if you're shrugging like, eh, it doesn't matter, I don't care. Okay, in a in a in a therapeutic context, to be able to share that information with him gives him a whole new world of what's happening with you uh, outside of his perception. Right. But of course he or the the other member of the couple, because now it has to be open. And this, it's not that different from what we have to do with verbal communication, but except it happens so quickly and we respond so quickly that we lose the chance. When I'm, when I'm thinking of what I call the angry face, um, the angry face, just like I'm always saying to people, anger is a, a signal emotion. It means there's a need underneath that's, that's not being met. So the angry face could mean I'm disappointed, um, 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 hurt right by what you're doing and it could invite me to care about him or if I only hear it as I'm angry at you you know screw you if I hear it that way then I have to start a fight so it's really important even and this is what you're saying with the nonverbal communication to look at the nuanced meaning and the vulner the vulnerability that might be under what appears to be an aggressive movement or an aggressive statement. And there's even another layer to this. You know, we speak, uh, you know, through our consciousness. Uh, It's our verbal to verbal conscious interaction. And Mm -hmm. there's also an unconscious conversation that's going on. So, you know, a shrug or whatever the the gesture might be, could be, there could be a a real, a, a complete communication nonverbal to nonverbal between couples that is building a foundation of trust or animosity or that is just kind of under the radar, you know, so for each couple, each member of the couple to take responsibility for themselves and how they communicate, how they uh, move forward or away or against or with their partner, um, it, it makes a big difference. So how do you take, because, you know, that reminds me, I have two questions. How is that different from um, even if in a, not, in a verbal communication, there's an under, uh, I think you said an underlying message or an underlying meaning. So if I, if I say to you verbally, how could you talk to me like that? Um, that my, my underlying need or feeling is I, I wish you wouldn't, scream at me or I wish you wouldn't, you know, criticize me. Could you tell me how you're feeling in a, in a more open way or in a more respectful way? I could say that. Um, Right. So that's what you're talking about that under, but if, if under uh, the thing that fascinates me about the nonverbal communication is you barely know it's happening and it's already happened. So when you say be aware (laughs) <laughs> How can we be aware of something that just sort of appears out of nowhere, like that our body decides to communicate before our brain, and tell me if I'm wrong, even knows it. Awareness is key, right? 
You don't know it's happening until you know it's happening. I see. Okay. So it's really all about your own uh, awareness of your own comportment. How do you bring yourself to the relationship? How do you bring yourself to your life? Um, I remember working with a couple uh, once who uh, she sat on the end of the couch and he, you know, did the whole big spread thing. He was taking up so much of the couch. She was taking up a little bit. And I, I was amazed that they weren't aware of it. That was just normal for them. But once I brought awareness to it, she started to go, wait a minute. How? <laughs> I'm like twisting myself and, and narrowing. You know, so we gave it words. I said, notice how you're narrowing. And what would happen if you, if you expand it? And I know I'm, I'm doing this for you right now. You yeah. know, there's so much nonverbal that we see that we, it's hard to put into words. I'll try my best to describe it better here and now. Um, and then what is it like for him when she takes up more space of the couch? What is it like for him to, to move over and, and to shrink his space a little bit to give room for her? And how, how does that change the conversation? Right, right. How does it change the power dynamics in the relationship? But they wouldn't even know it if I didn't point it out. Right, right. Just out of curiosity. Nobody's doing anything wrong. It's like that's 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 their dynamic, right? And they're sitting in couples therapy. (laughs) Right, right. Unlike the guy on the subway who could sit like that (laughs) and make everybody mad who's around him. Is it um, also the woman who is enabling by narrowing? Mm, you know, mm, sorry about the right, gender. right, right. No, no, no. You know, but... you know who narrows in response to the world, and who it broadens in response to right. the world, and we all have the capacity mm. to do both. So it's interesting, just like with because when I say it comes out before you even know it, um, probably if it comes out over and over and over and over again, which is what's going to happen right in any relationship. And, you know, when we're triggered, we're going to respond either verbally or non-verbally in our habitual ways. We can begin to know what the grimace or the facial gesture or, you know, or the body gesture is that we're going to make that's offensive because we would have made it a hundred times before, perhaps. And then it would become increasingly part of our awareness. So even if we can't immediately stop it, as soon as it happens, we can know what it is. We've done it before. We've had a conversation about it before. And at least we won't say, what are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not making a face. At least we'll know, oh, that's what I, that's what I do. And yeah, we've talked about it and you could say, maybe I'm sorry. (laughs) And then, you know, from a clinician's perspective, I'm curious about, you know, what right, is right. Work? And then maybe if that person, you know, in the couples therapy is doing their own work somatically, they start to learn, well, what is this body memory where this shrug, where did the shrug begin in their right. relationship? And then to unpack that, and then all of a sudden the shrug's not, I'm sorry to be picking on you, <laughs> just to pick up on the No, shrug. no, no, it's okay. And then the shrug's it's not there anymore or it, right. it, it lessens because the work that is encompassed in that nonverbal response is unpacked and healed. 
Right, right. So that over time, we get to become more aware and, and heal, as you say, which is yeah. one of the values of being in a relationship where these things happen over and over, is we can begin to heal, become aware. Um, Without shift. judgment. <laughs> right, right. The first, the first line of somebody's, you know, beating themselves up about themselves. Of course, they're going to beat themselves up because they do a certain gesture all the time. Oh, I'm doing that again. Why am I doing that again? And it's really with curiosity and kindness for itself, mm-hmm. the feeling in itself, to kind of to be curious about this nonverbal thing. It was important. It's a, it's like a it's a defense, you know. It was right, it was right. Needed at some point, and now it might not be causing not might might not be as needed, and might be actually causing some havoc. Right, or we can begin to have alternative ways of of dealing with the same um, trigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you say with acceptance or without judgment, that goes for both both ways. I have to accept myself without judgment and my partner has to try to have empathy and understanding for the value, the creative adjustment that that shrug or that face once served, where it's coming from. And we want to be non-judgmental both ways, which is very hard when you're defending yourself. <laughs> to save your life <laughs> yeah 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 I, i'm thinking of another uh another scenario in which someone you know one part of a couple says uh oh there's there's that thing you do again and the other person go really i just did that wow <laughs> huh. oh you know what i was just thinking about this other thing when i just did that I'm sorry you were offended. I, I honestly wasn't, it wasn't for you. <laughs> right, right, right. That's so funny. You know, it's like an opening there where it's like, oh, and that's taking responsibility. You know, I'm thinking about another way it could happen in couples that could cause trouble is um, that we have energy, right? And uh, some people, again, this is our creative adjustments from childhood, what we've learned and what we've learned is possible. So if you grew up in a volatile family or a very expressive family, or, um, you know, where emotion was allowed to be either like free in a healthy way or run rampant in a, (laughs) a violent, crazy way, whatever, but it was there, it was open. It was, um, so I'm doing this with my hands now, like, and, and, and so that person might in their presentation have like a, the nonverbal um, kind of aura <laughs> is one of lots of energy, lots of, you know, movement and the other person and some, and often these people find themselves because the the person with a lot of energy wants to find somebody who's calm and quiet and the calm, quiet person wants the permission to have the energy. But then that person who grew up maybe in a family where there was a lot of restriction and holding in and holding back um, their, their nonverbal aura. I don't know what the right word to call it is, but their, their essence, their aura is one of being, um, you know, calm, quiet, held back. And so those people can sometimes fight like the 
the calm person might say, you're all over me. Like what, calm down. And the, the person who has all the energy might say, you're always, you know, hiding yourself. I know, I don't even know what you're thinking. And um, they can begin to have a, a problem because the energy that just the energies are different. Right. Yeah. yeah. And interesting. yeah, it's almost like a, a, a seesaw. Because when when they start doing the couple's work, sometimes they will exchange. And, you know, when there is permission for the person who's constricted to have some space, and I'm I'm using somatic terms uh, purposely here, then then there's a little bit more of an even exchange. They may pop back into their old ways, but, you know, I, I always say to them, well, you found each other for a reason. Right, right. That's really the amazing truth. We always find our partner for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're saying, though, that the actual, yeah, the space of therapy, the space of the, the, the session with a boundary gives the person who's got a more held back style the permission to emerge. And maybe the therapist might ask or help <laughs> the person with the more energy to give that other person a chance and, and, uh, and yeah, and find a balance there. Yeah. Cause it's interesting then what you're saying is, you know, I always say there's a hundred percent of the responsibility for each person, but it's easy in that couple for the person who has all the energy to say to the other person, you don't say anything ever because they're talking all the time. (laughs) And the person who's held back to say to the other person, you're taking up old space because they're not coming forward, right? So each person has to recalibrate what their, what their energy level is, really. And when we take the words out of it, for instance, when I have a couple uh, doing the push and yield, uh, Ruella Frank uh, teaches this. And when they stand, and I, I have them stand to do it, and they, and they put their hand. Sometimes they'll have a pillow in between, depending on what we're doing, either a pillow in between or just hand to hand. And one person pushes and one person yields, and then it reverses. The other person pushes and the other person mm-hmm. yields. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's just a movement back and forth just to feel each other's energy, just like just enough push and just enough yield so that the person who's, um, who's receiving can feel the other person's push, but they also have a responsibility to allow how much how much the person goes into their space. Right. So I, I did this with a couple. Uh, they were so lovely. They, neither of them had ever been in therapy before, um, and they were older. And um, and I had them do this because they were blah, 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 back, blah, blah, blah. I was like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> But I said, you want to try something? They were like, yeah, yeah let's try something. And, um, and I had them do this exercise. And it was, uh, she was the one who had all the energy and talking all the time, also doing all of the work for the relationship and then complaining about it. And he was uh, more, uh, you know, subdued and, and restricted in his energy. And uh, they started doing this back and forth and she started to cry. And she said, oh, you are there. Mm-hmm. You do love me. She said, mm-hmm. oh, it was the sweetest moment um, that she right, had right. a chance. It gave him the space to, to be there. 
because the words weren't there. And so there was this heightened level of vulnerability for both of them, but it was also an even level right, of right, vulnerability right. for both of them. And they were able to feel each other. Cool. That's so nice. And Just they other... stopped therapy after that. Oh. <laughs> They're like, that's all we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that reminds me of a couple um, that I had that was there was an alcohol alcoholism problem and the person stopped alcohol and went to AA and the next day, the next session they came in and said, we're going to stop. We don't need therapy anymore. It's, but sometimes there is magic, right? That's like, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, that's it was amazing. A big, it was a big piece for them. Yeah. Cool. And all the quibbling and the, the, you know, the arguing and the, and the bickering over you do this, well, you don't do this, brother. that there was this underlying, this ground of being together in a certain way that was uneven and uncomfortable. It's interesting because that's an example of how we co-create, how we reenact, I guess is the proper word. We reenact our family of origin. And then when we reenact it, we reenact our original injury and then we are injured all over again instead of allow, you know, finding a way to have the possibility that we could do it differently. So if that person was um, in a family, there was a lot of anger, a lot of noise, whatever, taking up all the space and she was never heard, um, then she does the same thing, right? If she doesn't have awareness and takes up all the space and says over and over again, I'm never heard, I'm never heard, you don't hear me. And then it reinforces the early injury and reenacts it and proves that it's true. As opposed to what you're just saying is if they give each other the, the space to do it differently and hear each other, one can come forward, one can stay behind and not pull back like a little bit, and then they can begin to enact a different um, and very beautiful. A different level you know, of sensitivity. Reaction, yeah. Interesting. To yourself and to those who you're with. Um, yeah. Checking in somatically noticing what your breathing is doing at any given moment, knowing what your posture is doing. Even when we go to sleep at night, it's amazing how I, I ask my clients to show me how they sleep. Like, oh, really? Show me, show me your posture when they mm-hmm. say they can't sleep, when they're having insomnia. And, um, and they'll, you know, bring their shoulders up around their neck and they'll, you know, squeeze the, the pillow and they'll contort themselves. And they're like, yeah, this is how I sleep. <laughs> and I was like, wow, so just notice what tension is in your body right now that maybe you don't need to, to use. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then there's this kind of negotiation between your body and your mind. They're like, well, what can I let go of and still feel okay? Mm-hmm. I feel safe. Maybe I need to have my shoulders up around my neck so I can feel safe. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's also constricting my breathing <laughs> or keeping me uh, on high alert, on some kind of right. Sympathetic uh, nervous system activity, and then what's it like to yield? You know, to really allow the the pillow to receive your head, allow the the mattress to receive the weight of your body, and receive your gravity, and then can we be safe in doing that? That's a whole other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's really what you said is really important because when you you said to feel safe, but the way we often feel safe is by. 
reenacting again those or those those body postures that kept us safe and protected so then to just be open and vulnerable and chill yeah no <laughs> way really that's like and and risk my entire being by doing that that's that's right. really a scary scary position so we have to appreciate that and you know move into the new postures slowly and, you yeah. know, with, with appreciation for ourselves, because we did everything for a reason. Uh, yeah. And proving, proving our mind wrong. Oh, I'm uh, not in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, safety right. is one of those, uh, one of those uh, phenomena that uh, we can't think ourselves into safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to feel it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So then to really overwhelm is another sense. It's not something you can think. It's something you feel. Mm -hmm. So going into the body to explore what that is, is, uh, or maybe even knowing that I'm not in my body right now. Uh, I'm not safe enough, but my body's not safe. I'm, I'm over there. I'm behind myself. I'm beside myself. And, and finding a way to negotiate that sense of safety in yourself. Right. And in the environment that exists in the present moment, it's an interesting thing how we can ignore the present moment because the environment that we're responding to is an environment of our histories, right? Yeah. That's in our body. But to to be in the present moment, again, it's very vulnerable to be open. Our mind can go into the future. It can go into the future with anxiety, into the past with depression. But the body is always present. Right. And even our body memory is can be from the past, but it's happening now. Right, right. But also the environment is providing a new stimuli, potentially. <laughs> and for the body to become aware of the new stimuli that may be happening in the environment or the new circumstances is, is the task, right? And again, a vulnerable task to be open like that. I always think of Ruella Frank's um, child with the outstretched arms. When it, that's, and I think of, you know, children and my grandchildren and children I see whatever, wherever on the street or wherever they are and um, how they can be, if they're lucky enough to have been, feel safe up until now, until they're five or six or seven, you see them open, open arms, running free. Um, yeah, curious, going up to a new person in the playground that they don't even know <laughs> and saying, hello, <laughs> can we play whatever? Can I play with you in the sandbox or whatever? Like, no, there's no, if they're lucky already, because it doesn't, it could already be that they're frightened or, or restricted. If they're lucky, they just assume everything will be okay. Everybody will love them. Oh, <laughs> it's great to see. I, I always say that, you know, we learn shame when we are learning how to walk. Shame is also an embodied experience. You know, when the toddler is walking to mom and for a toddler's experience, I think uh, Dan Stern writes about this in the, the world of the infant. You know, when the, when the toddler's walking, part of what they think walking is, is I walk, I fall down, I'm surprised. I roll over, I push myself back up or I pull myself back up and then I, and I take steps again. Mm-hmm. 
But if a toddler is walking and they plop down on their butt and they're surprised, mom or dad or whoever is uh, on the other side is saying, oh, mm-hmm. and the toddler looks at the face of their caregiver. Oh, the face. And the toddler goes, oh, 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 yeah. I'm so, oh, that. Oh, and then they make the same face. And then they learn that that was wrong or bad. Oh, wow. And then the baby cries. Right, right, right. Because they see a scared face or not a scared face on the parent. Well, they they look to the parent to see what they're supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. So they mirror, they first viscerally or, or physically mirror the face and then the face works through the brain to tell them right. what to feel and that feeling is oh disappointment sadness or fear or fear. or fear yeah oh you're okay you're okay and you know but the voice is saying one thing right and right the right, words right. Are saying so, and there's such confusion and wow. all the baby knows is like what do i do with this now and then there's overwhelming the baby cries Wow, that's an amazing example because the parent doesn't know that they're being judgmental or the parents, you know, they, no. they, they're not knowing they're supposed to say, oopsie-doo, oops, yeah. or something fun when uh-huh. the baby, they're, they're not trying to be shaming, but their yeah. face is a face of fear and worry. And then, the yeah, I'm sure that oh. happens a hundred million times. Wow. Good meaning, but not received. Different experiences. Right, right. <laughs> different experiences. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a great example. Oh, I wish I could have children again and say, oopsie-doo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I did say, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's an amazing uh, example. And then, it, uh, you know, I guess a similar thing can play out as adults when you, um, yeah. Yeah look disappointed or scared and it can look like anger or shame i had had one say to me who had been in therapy many years and doing a lot of work and uh they said to me you know i'm i'm in here and i'm doing my work and i'm trying to get better and i'm trying this and that and and then they said you know and then i'm gonna have a kid and i'm gonna mess up that kid and that kid's gonna be in here complaining about me so that's the way it goes We had a good laugh about that. <laughs> right. Well, all right. Well, that's, that was a great example. So, um, yeah, I guess. So then how do we, I mean, I, 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 how do we become more aware? How do we, I guess, just again, by making a lot of mistakes, right? And, and having them brought to our awareness. And we're not mistakes, but having a lot of reactive responses. Having them brought to our awareness, yeah. Uh, Arlene, I couldn't help myself, even just as you were talking uh, about 10 minutes ago, you you were moving your hands as you were saying (laughs) that, you know, I'm expressive and I move, and then you said, and I'm even moving, even as I'm moving my hands right now, and I was like, there it is, there's the awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a matter of knowing knowing that you can be aware and then to practice. Right. And there's so much cultural, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say that all like cultures aren't um, all the same, but um, like when you moving my hand, so I'm Italian. Right. And there, there's a, a, fa- a book by this psychiatrist, Robert Robertiello, and he writes, I don't know if you know this book, it's called The Wasp Mystique. 
And he talks about the difference between wasps and Italians. And again, this is not, you know, like a, a formula, but I always remember he says this one thing about um, when, a, if an Italian first person <laughs> drops something on the floor, drops a plate, they say, oh, don't, I, I can't believe it. I dropped a plate and they start to move and, uh, and they, they get like all expressive and, and, um, and, and, you know, reactive. <laughs> and then, but he says, if the other person, the wasp person, and again, this is a stereotype. So it's his stereotype drops the plate. They, they, they constrict, they'll breathe. And then they'll say, Oh dear, I dropped the plate. And, um, and then they'll bend down slowly to pick it up. So if you grow up in one family, where your parent says, oh, darn it, I, I'm, not, I'm not even there. They would be cursing my family. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just behaving myself. Uh -huh. um, then you learn that that's what you get to do. And your body um, reacts like spontaneously and instinctively. And then you have to learn to curb it in perhaps. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know which is harder, actually, maybe you can talk to that. But if you grow up in the other family where what you see is your parent taking a breath, breathing in, constricting, um, then that's what you learn to do. You, you, you mirror that. And then you have to learn how to like allow the, the like a more spontaneous reaction to emerge so which is harder to 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 be the the person in the expressive family who has to learn to keep that, it in? that's it a wonderful question and i think you're bringing up a, a a larger um piece of this and that is cultural differences so um harder or easier i'm i'm not sure but what it really happened what it comes down to the person so, um, uh, for instance, in dance movement therapy, there's a Le Bon movement analysis. And they say, you know, well, this is this kind of movement and this movement means that. And it, it was created in the 1960s, 1950s. And it was, um, it's being reexamined now because it seems to only suit a certain culture of people. And it makes other cultures seem wrong. According to the wait, the dance dance movement movement, movement analysis. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a system of analysis of different movements. And I see, I movements, see. This, you know, if you're sitting up, if you're slouching, this and this and this, and that um, it, it, that doesn't fly. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't fly with each individual. So uh, to answer your question and to also to answer the question of cultural differences. It comes down to the individual, which is also a cultural thing, right? It's not a, we're not in a collectivist society. We're in an individualistic society. Um, and that's why individual psychotherapy, and, you know, this is what we do in the West. Um, but it comes down to where the suffering is. If a person is loud and they move their hands around and they're very passionate and they love that about themselves and they either have certain uh, relationships because of that and they avoid other relationships because of that and they're happy mm -hmm. that's their life right 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 there's no reason to shift it mm -hmm. yeah if if they're restricted same way if they're restricted and you know that's their life but if they're restricted and they say i feel like i'm missing out on something or i keep having these panic attacks but yet i have this like 
plate of like a, a wall in my chest that it seems I keep people keep telling me that my um, my upper body is like so rigid that it doesn't move. And I don't like that. And I want to see if I'm holding something back. Then we do the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're really saying, which is important because maybe because of the I'm coming from the more expressive place it feels to me like I can learn I've had to learn to to kind of uh be aware of when I'm too much and hold it not hold it back moderate it let's put it that way (laughs) to allow for more space for other people and um but it always feels to me harder for the other person. But you're saying like harder to actually learn how to let something out as opposed to keep something back. But you're saying no, like that either way um, it's a learning curve and yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Okay. I mean, if, okay. If, you know, technically if you have it to pull back, you actually have a grasp on what it. Is. Yeah, what it is. But if you're holding back and it's in your unconscious and you're not aware of those emotions that are in there. They may come out in panic attacks or uh, hives or mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> asthma or, mm-hmm. you know, some other kind of uh, condition. And then once we unpack that and the emotions start to come up, that could be really scary for somebody mm-hmm. to, to start to feel their emotions when they're not used to it, when they're comfortable suppressing. Um, So it depends on the person and, you know, and culturally speaking, it it depends on what each person wants for their life. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's causing them some difficulty, they may want to learn some a different way. Right. So the motivation is important. If the motivation is there, then the, um, and again, in a couple, the motivation could be there because, one, the one, the person who holds back might, may understand that the other person needs them to emerge, or they may actually want to emerge because they're feeling so overwhelmed by the other person who has, you know, that more energy available. They, they, they may, yeah, they may have the motivation and the motivation is the, the sort of pathway toward beginning to open up something that was shut down. Huh. Okay. If and that's their perception of it and if that's their sources, if that's their if they're suffering from it. Right. And similarly, I mean, I'm just thinking the person who's very expressive, if they are aware of it, I guess awareness is everything, right? And and they're aware of the impact on the other person, then it would be they would have the motivation to hold it back to hold back or to moderate, let's say moderate, <laughs> but the other person maybe who's very expressive and who's um, like feeling like what's wrong with you, you, you know, I'm just being myself. I can do whatever I want. If they would have a harder time, obviously um, being able to moderate that because they don't have the awareness and they don't have the motivation. And, yeah. and likewise, it may be, you know, this is how I am. I move. Big. Right, right, right. Big. I'm loud. But what would it be like? For right, right, to right. Touch gently. That may be terrifying for that person because it's out of their range of comfort. Right. So in the couple, what matters more than the style is the awareness and the motivation to 
meet the other and to appreciate the impact of self on other. And then we can move on from there. And it doesn't right. really matter. That, well, you know, I, I had a stereotype in my mind that it was easier to pull back than to express, learn to express. But no, it's about motivation, awareness, intention, desire, and, and uh, yeah, atten attention to the self. In and relation. it's not about losing yourself. Oh, I don't, I don't want to become some person, different person just for you. Well, I'm not asking that. We're just asking you to add to your repertoire. Mm -hmm. so you have these movements. You have this way of being wonderful. Let's, let's give you a spectrum of movement and, and possibility. Rather right. than I'm asking you to change. Right. But it's even, you know, in a re even if it is a, a chain, I mean, in any relationship, you know, where I always quote Hillel, right? If I'm not for myself, who will be? <laughs> if I'm not for others, what am I? Yeah. So in a relationship, I have to be for me. I have to care about me, and but I also have to care about you. So it is, uh, if, if one person needs more emotion from the other person or one person needs more space, you aren't doing it for the other person. You know, you might not do it if it weren't for the relationship creating the need to have a, a play, a meeting, a, a, a between place to meet. And uh, so the, and like you say, if, if it was a different relationship where two people could be very happy, I guess, being very isolated and uh, quiet and not bothering each other that much and having, private time. I mean, that, that could work or it could work that there's it like, works until it doesn't. <laughs> right. or a lot of screaming going on and, <laughs> works and expression. And, yeah. yeah. Or works until it doesn't, or maybe it works. It's, and if uh, you do want to change for that other person, that's how love grows. Right. Know? Right. Change that's for the, the person. Change or, or add, I, I have to stick to my add to the repertoire so that you can meet that person. And right. that's also for you too, right? You're still creating that love. Right. It's a gift that you give, the gift of love, I call it, or not probably somebody else called it that way before me. The gift, it's the gift of love when I give to you because it's important to you. And it, it does, it's about, it could be about anything, right? It could be about picking up, washing the dishes, or it could be about anything. Um, and it doesn't mean no. abandoning yourself to do it. Right. It means I know that when I do that, it, it's upsetting to you and I will give you that gift. And then vice versa, there's a gift in return, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. So what else? Um, I mean, I'm just, again, I'm just a, always amazed by the power of, of not saying anything. <laughs> yeah. And how um, it's, it's, it's also like, speak about this a little, the passive aggressive part of it. Like uh, sometimes you want to say something and you can be, I'm thinking about this example that was once in, in a sociology class I took where um, it was by Irving Goffman quoted it about um, the person who you go to the movies with somebody and um, they don't pay for their ticket. 
and you put out the money and you have to feel like a beggar and say, oh, can I please have the money <laughs> that you owe me for the ticket? But the person who does nothing is making a very, very, very strong statement that uh, a passive statement of, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I'm not, it's a passive statement. I'm not going to be responsible. I'm not going to. So that could happen. That, that passive energy, that aggression is, well, like we said before, could be there or it could not be there. could yeah. be that or it could be, it could be something else. Well, I'm thinking about the person who made a whole bunch of assumptions when they bought the two tickets. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, okay. Right? So when you have, when you build awareness uh, of your embodied experience, you're also building a clear understanding of your boundaries Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that person two different scenarios there that person um may uh buy the tickets and say hey you can venmo me for that one make (laughs) just make a decision and then there's also and this is a very gestalt if you are you know selfing and and you have enough of self-support then maybe you buy the two tickets and you're also prepared to buy the two tickets. That there's mm-hmm. also an agreement with yourself, a boundary with yourself that I'm going to buy these tickets and I don't need them to pay for theirs. And if I do want them to pay for theirs and I ask them to Venmo me and they don't, I'm doing that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's me taking care of myself. You know, you know, what's interesting about that, of course, back in like 20, 30 years ago, whenever I was in high school, in college, there, there was no Venmo, but, he, and, but, 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 but Goffman never talked about the, um, the passive action of the person who bought the tickets like you're doing now, like he was just focusing on the person who didn't pay. Um, and then the, the passive, the action, the passive nature and the power of that passive action. But even before Venmo, the person who bought the tickets could have said, I'm buying the tickets, but um, uh, make sure you pay me when we meet at the theater. Um, And then they would have created the ground for um, that to, to, to take place. And if it didn't take place, that would make it much, much easier for that person to say, hey, remember you were supposed to pay me? And they'd feel much less like a beggar because they would have created the ground. So either way, it was a pat. Yeah, that was it's a passive action to not state state your need overtly and to suppress and deny and avoid whatever. That's an interesting we have to, if only Irving Goffman could hear us now. <laughs> self-support and self-responsibility. For right, self-love. right. That's, that's where the love happens. That's where the love spills over. Right, love for yeah. self and love for other, right? So that's love for self really saying, like allowing your voice to emerge and not just doing the passive action of buying the tickets without any. Um, wow, I'm so glad I said that without any acknowledgement of the other's responsibility yeah nobody's ever said that before i've given that example a hundred times but that's absolutely correct <laughs> wow. <Why> not? <laughs> yeah no 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 come on. well the, the correct part of it is the passive action 
is not stating the boundary up front, not taking care of yourself, not, not stating the boundary up front. And then that can be met with another passive action, and then you're in trouble. Hmm. All right. <laughs> That's very interesting. And of course, that gets played out in a couple in all kinds of different ways. If I don't really say, uh, one minute, okay. But if I don't say, um, it's very, very, very important to me that you don't leave a plate in the sink, <laughs> then I don't create that ground. And then I can just get angry and out outraged at not being cared for when the other person doesn't do it. So the ground... Mm -hmm. Self-support is self-awareness, and self-awareness starts with embodiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, and I know we have to end soon, in a couple, we get to replay the same thing over and over and learn how to take better care of ourselves and the other. Like, by, but both things can happen as we develop a new script for how we want to treat ourselves and the other and, and how, what we expect and what we want to give in, in the adult relationship. We don't have to repeat that childhood drama. <laughs> ah, goodness. All right. So it's always, is there anything else before we wrap up? It's always a little tense at the end when they tell us we have two minutes <laughs> and we're like, okay, let's just relax. We have two more minutes. <laughs> But oh, uh, oh one minute. It's been delightful. Yes. <laughs> same here. So same here. Thank you. I always I always get amazed at how fast the time goes and how much fun we have. Yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for the Irving Goffman insight. That I mean that the the you know the ramifications of that are gonna I'm gonna use that for lots of other things, but that's a that's a great insight. Amazing. All right. All right. We can say goodbye. We have 30 seconds, but um, I think we're good, right? Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you for making it so easy. It was really fun. Oh, no, as did you. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Ask Arlo. Arlene Majorano has another episode of the podcast coming soon. So keep checking back on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And be sure to visit AskArlo.com to ask questions and to find out more about the show. Until our next show, keep finding new ways to renew the relationships in your life.